I am, I am very thankful to have the opportunity to share with you here at the end of the year, the last Sunday of 2019, as we get ready to stretch into 2020, which is for us the year of vision. I told the earlier group that my real wish was that in two nights uh, at the dropping of the ball in New York that Barbara Walters were there. So she could say, I'm Barbara Walters and this is 2020. <laughs> 14 of you are old enough to know that. In any case, big things are coming up, including for us, a new sermon series. We're starting out our year of vision with See the Real You. Uh, the, we're going through walk through Ephesians for about nine weeks. If you'll go out into the resource center, you can buy the Ephesians journals like we've had for John and Luke and Acts and all the other books that we've done in the past. Those are available in the resource center. Next Sunday morning, between the two gatherings, we'll have a very special service. We're burning a note. Let me tell you, if there's not anything to be happy about, you need to be happy about that. Because God, is, God has done that. He's made that happen. Go ahead. I'll let you clap. Yay. God's got big plans for us in the future, but getting that note paid off and getting that done was very important for this church family. And I think it's a significant moment for us next week to all be out there next to the hope wall watching that get burnt. While we get to this point of the year, we begin thinking about next year and about the things that we want to see happen. We get intentional, one intentional day. We start making resolutions. In fact, we want to see some conditions and some things change in our life. Now, <clears throat> I know the, the truth of this. I could ask the question of how many of you are making resolutions for next year, and there'll be four of you. And then I'll ask the other question of how many of you have resolved not to make resolutions, and there'll be 80 of you. <laughs> the truth is, though, we want some things to change. There are some things that have happened that we want to see different for us in the next year. Most of the time we make resolutions, they are about what? Weight loss? I'm telling you folks, the, the folks at, at the gyms love us at this time of the year. I give you a dollar and then I give you $40 a month to show up five times the entire year. We talk about weight loss, we talk about healthy eating and exercise and things that we want to see better about our time management skills, about our organizational skills. This year has to be the year of decluttering for me. I know that my wife is sitting on the second row and that she is just shaking in her boots happy. Just a year of declutter. Get our, some things managed a little bit better and organized a little bit better. Time that we want to spend with our friends and our family. And nowadays we might add stuff like, I want to limit my time on social media. I need to get off my phone. I'm hearing that. I need to quit watching the news. I didn't hear anything about that. That's scary. So of those that have resolved not to make resolutions, we still have some things that those resolutions are statements. There are things that we say they would like to see happen, and they're great as statements, but they require work and planning for us to achieve and to see real change happen in our lives. In order for us to get from point A to point Z, though, we also have to go back and look at what we've done in the past. We have to stop for a moment and go, go and get some sort of plan together a roadmap of sorts to help us reach our goals. But we have to, to get to where we wanna go, we have to see where we've gone and, and we have to look back to the last year. And so I'm gonna ask you the question, how many of you have looked at last year's stuff and what happened? 
My weight loss goal was not met. Now, it was close at one point, and then I ran into Thanksgiving. And as a way of bringing that stuff back. You know, it's not easy for us to look back at, at, at the past because we see our successes, and those are okay, but we see our failures in much bigger terms. Our recollection is much larger about our failures, where we didn't live up to things. And somehow it's a human condition, whether it's something that... that our human, uh, our human condition causes us to do or something our human condition allows us to do, but we remember our difficulties and our struggles much larger and bigger than life in our recollection. Our failures are huge in comparison to our successes, and even in our successes at times we will say things like, it could have been much better if only I had done something else. This year for me left much to be desired. I lost two uncles within just a few days of each other, my mother's brothers. There are some diagnoses and some decisions that were made in our family that have surprised us, and our kids have had to make tough adult decisions. Most of you understand. In this past year, they've, they've had to be adults. But most of you understand the imbalance and the tension that takes place when you have to let your kids make decisions. All the time, you want to step in and say, You want to step in, but at the same time, you have to allow them to make those decisions and let them live with the consequences of those decisions. They have to make and live with their own adult decisions. For me, last year, though, the worst was personal misalignment. I was not working out of my giftedness or my strengths nearly as much as I was trying to run through a list of things that needed to get done. And because I was in that place where I wasn't feeling like I was doing the right things, I was frustrated. Dan will be the one who attests to it in here in just a second. When I get frustrated, two things happen. Number one, I turn inward and start getting task-oriented. This, that stressors, when stressors come about, I start getting task-oriented. I start saying, what has to be done? Da, 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 da. And I close off. But when something happens that messes up my little plan, I get vocal. I am a drama queen. <laughs> At least I can admit it. Someone else on this stage occasionally can also be that way, but he will never tell you that. <laughs> By the way, my resume will be out later this week. <laughs> if any of you know anybody that has a job opening. So. I'm a drama queen, but, and that's the thing. I didn't handle it well this year. This year was really difficult for me. It was really tough. Some decisions that were made that I didn't even get to be a part of the decision-making process. And it left me in a lurch. And during those times, I was, and the word, you know, we've, we had the year of hope, year before last, and last year was our year of influence, and this year is our year of vision. My last year was the year of discombobulation. Man, it was tough. But even in that, I didn't handle it well. I wasn't listening to what I'm going to give you today as my own advice. And why? 
because I've had to take the time this week and these last few weeks to look up some ideas of how do I handle it better when things don't go my way? How do I handle it better? So today I wanna walk you through some of the ideas that you can help find some sort of semblance of balance, some sort of peace or joy in your own frustration. We all want you to know peace. For FBC Wimberley to be what she is supposed to be and exist the way that she's supposed to means that you need to be the very best that you can be as we minister with and to each other. So are you ready? Let's pray. Father, this morning we just give it all to you. This is about your son and how we become more like him. For these words, I, I know that you've helped me prepare them, but may it be you speaking through. May you enjoin hearts this morning. May you pierce us in places that, um, God, we may not be ready to be pierced in. May you touch us this morning and make us leave with a profound sense of your word being spoken today. We give all of this up to you and in your son's precious and holy name, amen. I think it is so cool that the children's ministry uh, motif for this last month has been this, joy. Finding a way to be happy even when things don't go your way. That is the essence of this message. And thankfully, I get to use it this week. If your pastor were here this week, he'd be saying things to me like, hey, I was gonna use that next week. Finding a way to be happy even when things don't go your way. Now, we could talk about, we could sit here and have the theological discussion about how the word happy and happenstance have the same root and how that means tying your emotions to your circumstances and your situations. But you know what? That's, a, that's another time. That's another discussion. It's something we don't need to talk about today. Instead, I want to focus on a plan so that you can have joy in your disappointment and trial. Vance Havner was one of my favorite people. He's a Baptist pastor, and he had some great writings and great sayings over the year, but my favorite one was, the vision must be followed by the venture. It's not enough to stare up the steps. We must step up the stairs. In other words, there needs to be a plan. You have an idea of this is the way I want things to be. You can't just look at it. You've got to start stepping up to get to it. You've got to have a plan in place. Now, let me tell you something. I need to make a declaratory statement from the very beginning. As certain as you make a plan, what? It's going to get challenged. As soon as you make a plan, something's going to come along to challenge your plan. Now, in my world, as the drama queen, when, something, when I have my plan in place and something steps in to mess up my plan, I ain't happy. That's why we need to have this plan in place so we can start dealing with it in better ways. This is, this is a, a statement that was made by a 19th century Prussian field marshal, Helmut von Molk. I had to look this up. No operation extends with any certainty beyond the first encounter with the main body of the enemy. No operation extends with any certainty beyond the first encounter with the main body of the enemy. You know what that means? Colin Powell did. Dwight D. Eisenhower did. They just changed it up. They instead said, no plan survives contact with the enemy. I like that. That's true. My plans don't usually stand up. They usually, when they get kicked, they get kicked pretty hard. But let me tell you, 
My favorite quote, my favorite one about this whole thing comes from former heavyweight boxing champion Mike Tyson, who said, and I quote, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. I'm walking around with blood dripping out of the side of my mouth. You're going to know. My, plans got th- my plan got thwarted. And that's the way it is. Our plans are going to get punched in the mouth. Yet, here's something that you need to know. James give us, gives us great hope. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. In other words, things are going to happen that don't work your way. But God is there and he is, he is trying to bring you along and give you perseverance and endurance and you, could, you should consider it all joy. That's hard. Now, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. I, I'm trying not to discourage you this morning. But I want you, I want you ready. I want you knowing that each day is going to have its challenges. But you have a path to joy and peace every day, and it starts off with your God time. We talk about the three environments of God time and group time and gathering, and those are opportunities for us to become more like Jesus. God time is our daily time with God that includes our Bible reading time and our prayer time. And that's the first point in the plan for joy, prayer. Jesus sets the example for us by having communicating with his father, speaking with him in a conversational tone, one-on-one. And prayer has two functions. First, it's about worship. When we, when we go to God, there's an attitude of repentance. We are recognizing that God is God and we are not. We recognize his authority in our lives and in our coming to him, there's an inherent submission. That's worship, guys. That's cool. The second part of that is it's a discipline. It's to help our souls gain control of our overactive brains. My brain goes nuts. It runs in directions it should not go. It thinks bad things that it shouldn't think. It thinks the worst of myself and others. That's my brain. But you know, my heart says something completely different. My heart says God's got us. He's got us involved in things together and there's a purity of spirit that should be taking place. And so we can create that stillness in our prayer time so the Holy Spirit can work in and through us to help commune with God. It can direct our hearts. We can receive answers and when God closes or opens doors. It can strengthen our character and strengthens our spirit. It can increase our faith and and help us in our spiritual gifting. And it brings a deeper sense of the Father's presence and care. And Paul instructed us in this way. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Great instruction from Paul. In fact, he did it again in Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your, with thanksgiving, make your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You catch the script there? Rejoice always. Give thanks and pray. But I think the thing that's the biggest part of this is at the bottom of that, that Philippians 4 verse. Verse. 
The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want to have joy in your daily life? Rejoice, give thanks, and pray. When the hard times come, and they're going to, when your plans get thwarted, and they're going to, you're going to get punched in the mouth. Guess what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. That's important. So if prayer is the first way to ensure our joy, the second is for us to share our shape or to serve others. God formed every creature with a special area of expertise. Some fly, some slither, some burrow, some scavenge. But they all have a special area of expertise and each has a particular role to play based on how it was shaped by God. Our ministry, your ministry, all of us together grows out of our shape, our spiritual gifts, our hearts, our abilities, our personalities, and our experiences. And I know I said that pretty fast, but here's the thing. God loves you, and he has a plan for your life. None of these things, go back up. None of these things are by accident. And every experience and everything that you're passionate about and all of the things that are on your heart and your spiritual giftedness are all God's gift to you. He has a plan for your life and he loves you. In fact, he loves us so much it says, you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You, I, we all are fearfully and wonderfully made. And there is nothing about you, including your experiences, that is a mistake. Your mess becomes a message. Your misery becomes a ministry. Have you heard this before? And all of it works together in order for us to become more like Jesus. I love this part of this verse. We talk about Romans 8, 28, and 29. We know that, all those, that for all those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who, call, who are called according to his purpose. For those he, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It's not just about what you're going through. It's what the result is. The experience is difficult. You're getting punched in the mouth. You're still trying to give thanks and pray and rejoice. But even in that difficult time, the plan is that those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the cause for the Christian life. At the big end of it, we want to be more like Jesus. We have a saying in our office, and it's saying that it's said up here, and it was said earlier today. Everything we do is about Jesus and how we become like him. This is it. And when we are focused on others and we are, are, are thinking about how we share with others, there's no time for us to worry or complain. It's an opportunity for us to see, Jesus, see others the way that Jesus sees them. We see their needs, They're, we feel their needs. I wanna tell you something about the way this works. Think about it as a big engine of sorts and that there's a power plant and then there's a bunch of gears that are all connected. And if one gear is missing, no power goes beyond that spot. No movement, 
And so we need 100% participation because God has gifted everyone who has a relationship with him. And he's put you in this family of faith because he has a plan for your life. And your life will interconnect with others. Let me show you something. Brian Darty is one of my heroes. Don't tell him that. Don't, don't, no, don't let him know that I think he's a genius at times. Too late. Brian does a great job of making sure that our sound system is set up so that you have the best sound experience that you can in this facility. He knows this facility, knows everything about it. Very good. I'm gonna give you somebody else to clap for in just a second. Brian was, was looking at, and we've been listening to our videos, and we've been recognizing that the, the vocal quality of some of the stuff that we were putting out as, as voiceovers was not what it needed to be. We were, we were recording in different places, and we needed one place that had the right sound acoustics in place. And so he and I went somewhere, and he bought, he bought eight panels of two-inch thick, two-foot-wide by four-foot-tall pieces of ins, insulation sound dampening material. Then he went to our sewing ladies. How many of you knew we had a sewing ladies group? Four, six. He went to our sewing ladies and said, hey ladies, listen, we're gonna hang these up in an office. We need, this, we need to be able to fit these two by four pieces, two inches thick into this little pad and we need to be able to zip it up and close it. We need to hang it from a wall. What can you do? Sound dampening. I got eight of them. Let me tell you something. We didn't give them anything other dimensions, and they did this. If the sound quality goes up on anything that we put out, you can thank the, the sewing group. Those ladies know what they're doing. Now, I've got a little handheld mic deal that I use uh, when I've been interviewing kids at, at football and in tennis and all those other kind of things and when we've been doing radio broadcast stuff that I've been using to do interviews with them. And we've been using that as our tool. It's a great tool. So I can't use my giftedness in the right way unless these ladies use their giftedness in the right way and unless Brian was using his giftedness in the right way. You get it? Everyone is involved. There's a connection for all of us. Nobody steals this. I need this letter. If it falls forward, I'm blaming Michael. So prayer is our number one path to joy. Being in the right relationship with God and giving him the glory and the honor and seeking him out and saying, steady my heart, direct my heart. The second is serving and sharing in our shape. And the third way to secure joy is to be fully present. And catch this. Our statistics as a church, and Scott Tidwell backs me up on this one. He's the one who gave it to me. Indicate the average church member of First Baptist Church Wimberley attends our gatherings 1.8 times per month. Now, being fully present isn't just about attendance. But... It has obvious implications. 
ask a kid how important it is to them that a parent shows up at their tennis match or at their basketball game or at their football game or at their cheering deal or at their band recital. Is it important? Yes. Is it the be all end all of what I'm talking about for joy? No, it's not. What I'm talking about is about being fully focused and engaged on the task at hand, on what we are doing as a church family. In Psalms 46.10, we read, be still and know that I am God. There should be no more centering and calming effect in our lives day to day than to settle down for a moment and understand in that moment that God is God and that I am not. Nothing could be more centering. Taking just a moment to be fully present in that moment, especially when that moment is something that's going by and is not something that I'm excited about or my plan is getting messed up. But here's a list quickly from an, from an article that came out in 2002 by Tom Stewart. And I want to run through these quickly. Be focused. We have several key Bible passages that exhort us to be to the necessity of being focused. Fix our thoughts on Jesus, set our minds on the things above. To be watchful, to be alert and discerning, to see the things that God is seeing and he wants to reveal to us. Jesus told us to keep watch and Paul told us to be watchful. To be content, be content in the moment that you are in, not wishing for another moment in the past or some future. The funny thing is, is that we can learn this by choice and practice. Paul said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, which means if he can learn it, we can learn it. Being thankful is, goes hand in hand with being content. We talked about being thankful in all circumstances. Be prayerful. We talked about prayer before, but I want to throw this one at you. This is my, one of my favorite verses. Psalm 55, 22, when I, the last time I preached, I preached and I said something about this verse. Cast your burden on the Lord, he will sustain you. He will never suffer the righteous to be shaken. You get the idea that it's not just about being prayerful, it's about saying, I'm giving this to you because I can't handle it. I am ill-equipped. That's strange because I used to be really equipped. But there are things that God is moving me through and moving us through as a process together so that I'm changing in the experience. But even in the experience, whether it's not the best thing in the world for me or it's, it's something else that I'm just struggling with, God wants me to be joyful. And he wants you in that same place. Be strong. It takes perseverance and strength to endure the difficulties. And God is always there to help us and to be present, not retreating to a past glory or wishing for a preferred future. There are multiple times that we are told to be strong and courageous. And then we are to be loving. When we focus on and think about others before ourselves, it frees us from self-consciousness and self-pity. I'm not worried about my stuff if I'm thinking about somebody else. And finally, to believe. It's impossible for us to please God or live victoriously in the moment that we are in if we don't have faith. Faith is a non-negotiable when it comes to being fully present. So thus far you have prayer and you have sharing or serving in your shape and you have being fully present in the moment. 
But the last thing I have to share with you, you may step on your toes a little bit. Be obedient. I encourage you to be obedient. Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. There are some areas of our Christian life that we don't even need to ask whether we need to do them or not. We have been, been given commands and directives that are so clear that we don't even have to ask if we need to do them. The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your whole soul, heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? You interact with them. You involve them. You invite them. You intercede for them. We shouldn't have to have people, hey, you need to go love your neighbor as yourself. It's already here. We don't need to pray, God, do I need to love my neighbors? Yes, no, you don't. It's simple. It's already here. The Great Commission, sharing your faith, evangelism, learning how to share the message of peace with God, and then going and doing it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We shouldn't have to pray about that. Now, what we do have to pray about is, Lord, give me strength to do it. Because sometimes my, my mind is overactive and it needs to be settled. But if you don't share a message at a time that God has placed it in front of you, you will always remember it. I'm just gonna share that with you because I can remember one 20 years ago in New Orleans, Louisiana. If you see a need, you meet a need. Living generously includes helping others. We call that benevolence. And I'd love to go into this big, long story about how we changed the benevolence ministry at a little church I was at where we, someone would come, knock on the door and say, hey, I need some groceries. We would call the benevolence chairperson because that meant there was a committee. They'd call the benevolence chairperson and she would call down to Piggly Wiggly and say, hey, so-and-so's coming down, give them $50 in credit and we'll pay the bill at the end of the month. How personal is that? And we changed a little bit. We found some people who really wanted to serve. And we told people when they came and knocked on the door, says, just make us a list of what you want. We got their information. Uh, we got, you know, if they had kids or anything else. And then we gave that list to someone else and they went out and bought the stuff as if they were buying for their own family. It was amazing to me how many of those ladies would go and buy groceries and they'd come back and you'd look at the receipt and there'd be, you know, 14 Snickers bars. Why? They had four kids. One of them got short-sheeted, by the way. One of them, some of them got three, but some of, two of them got four, you know. Somebody lost out. But it's about the heart. It's about serving out of your shape. And it's about saying, we're going to do the things that we need to do because we've been told to do it. There's no, other, there's no reason to think about it. And while we're at it, we're going to get on this one. Tithe. 
In response to God's generosity and Jesus' generosity, we are called to be generous. Generous with our money, and we are to be good stewards of our possessions. In Malachi, there's a big thing in Malachi, but I want to get to this part. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. You ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. There are some people in today's church that will say tithing is an Old Testament thing. Okay. You know what Jesus said? Be generous. Okay, let's find, let's find out. When Paul told us to be generous, what, what measure did he use on that? We are told to be generous with our possessions. We're told to be generous with our money. And I'm going to give you the, the script for this. Here's the prescription of obedience. 100% given 10% 100% of the time. I can't believe I didn't hear somebody say amen. This is obedience. Now let me ask you a question. If 100% of us were giving 10% 100% of the time, do you think we'd ever have a need for an extra offering or for anything else? No. Do you think we'd ever have to talk to anybody about, hey, we need to pull back, we can't buy this, or we can't do this ministry or something else? No. Because this is the way God intended us to fund his business. 100% given 10%, 100% of the time, and we'll never again have to worry about money at the church. That's hard to hear. I just stepped off in somebody... And it really hurt some feelings, probably. And here's the thing. It's not me. This is the prescription. And today, most Christians don't tithe. That's not a judgment on my part. It's an observation. And here are the statistics. According to State of the Plate, only 10 to 25% of church members tithe, which means only about 5% of the United States population tithes. On average, now catch this, Christians give 2.5% of their income, which is down from 3.3% in the Great Depression. You talk about financial problems, and yet in the Great Depression, people were giving at a rate of 3.3%. And today we're at 25 So let me ask you this. Do you deserve the tithe? What's holding you back? And depending on your situation, understand, there's several reasons why you may not be able to give to your church. You may be going through a difficult financial time. You may have too much debt. You may be a new believer just growing in your faith in Christ, and some of you don't know why or how you're able to give to your church. Regardless of what you believe about tithing in the Bible, God is calling you to live a generous life. And as you offer your life as a living sacrifice to God, see what it is that he's calling for you to do. Luke wrote this. Actually, he's repeating what Jesus said. If you give, you'll get. Your gift will return to you in full in an overflowing measure 
pressed down, shaken together to make room for more and running over. Whatever measure you use to give, large or small, will be used to measure what is given back to you. Obedience. Whether it's a tithe or whether it's just generosity, it's still about obedience. In fact, I lost my card. We're talking about 100% participation and I left my, my commitment card for the um, This Is Us campaign. If you haven't given, you've got two days. Today, tomorrow, and, and, Wednesday, and Tuesday at church to get your commitment card in. But what about 100% participation in something like that? So here's where we're at. Here's where we stand. How does this help you find joy in discombobulation? Because God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Peace through prayer excludes the anxiety and minimizes frustration. Serving in our shape keeps us externally focused and busy. Being fully present keeps us focused on Christ in the day-to-day moments. And being obedient helps us to be in God's will and ready to receive his direction and to hear from him. Look at this last line. We know that things are gonna go awry at times in our plans, but joy is finding a way to be happy even when things don't go our way. Is 2020 your year of joy? Let me tell you, I don't wanna feel like I felt this year. I don't want the discombobulation to rule me. And so these are the things that I'm practicing. This morning at three o'clock I woke up because someone texted me. I can't remember why that happened. Next door app, I think, texted me. And from three to six, I said the same prayer. Okay, God, just a little bit more sleep. Just let me sleep just a little bit more. Now, I rested really well, but I can't tell you that I slept anymore. But you know what I got? I got exactly what I needed to be present and ready for this moment today. It's been my privilege and opportunity to to speak with you for a moment. But I want to ask you, as you're going through into this next year, resolutions or not, everything else aside, are you ready to have a life filled with joy in 2020? Here's some ways to get through the discombobulated times. God has peace for you. And we all want you to know peace. We exist to build lives that honor God and nothing could be more God honoring than everybody becoming more like Jesus this next year. 